Welcome to the TJ Malden Leadership Podcast, where we talk about life, leadership, and the gospel. All right, here we go. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you're hanging out with me today. Going to spend a little time chatting about sacred simplicity. Listen, I know we say it every week. This podcast is about life, leadership, and the gospel. And this is what I've realized lately. I, I jotted this down one night. It was like 1.30 in the morning or whatever. And I'm just thinking about leadership and like, how are we going to apply leadership? How are we going to make these strategies? How are we going to implement these strategies into our workplace so that our our church and you know our people feel empowered? And I, y'all, listen, I've read 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, Extreme Ownership, all these books on leadership, you know, seven... Habits for Highly Effective People by Covey. All these are great books. But what I realized, or at least for me, it may not be for you, but I was like, man, I think I just sometimes overcomplicate leadership. I know I do that in life. Like I, maybe you're like me, but something that should be really simple, like I start worrying about it and then I start assuming things and I assume other people's motives. And now this thing that should be like really, really simple, I've turned it into this cluster bomb of who knows what. And so I just, and I've done the same thing with the gospel. Like, man, the gospel in its simplicity is Jesus in my place. Like, Jesus died to make me free. And I overcomplicate it and put a bunch of rules on it and all these things. And it's really that simple. But I really truly believe sometimes we overcomplicate over leadership in such a way that it takes something that should be really fun and easy. And it makes it profoundly complicated. Literally, the subtitle of today's podcast for me, as I was writing this and thinking about it, is a war against the profound overcomplication of leadership. (laughs) I was like, that's actually a pretty complicated subtitle. But it is. There should be, in our hearts, a war against the profound overcomplication of leadership. Like we, We make leadership all of these things. And so I think for moms, dads, coaches, teachers, employers, whatever it is, we put this enormous amount of weight on ourselves to be impeccable great leaders to such a degree to where we're focusing more on being a leader or trying to be a leader rather than leading. And so today I want to give you three really simple things that will help you that I I've, I really feel like they've helped me. So I think they will help you not just to focus on leadership or how to sharpen your leadership skills, but just to remind you maybe of some of the things you're already doing that make you a great leader. Okay. So number one, as simple as it can be, a way to war against the profound overcomplication of leadership is this, love your people. Just love them. Listen, if you're a teacher and you don't love kids, quit. Like, okay, like, for real, like, if you're a pastor and you don't love your church, go do something else because you are robbing the world, right? You're robbing the world of your gifting in another area if you are not loving the people that you have been gifted. Like, now, listen, if you're a parent, like, you can't quit, right? Like, if you're in a marriage, don't quit. Love your people. But if you're in a profession, to where like your job is to protect people, to provide for people, to love them, and you don't love them, what what are you doing? Like I would ask that question, why are you leading your staff? Like I can say this for, for myself, I love my staff. Like, and I see every person on staff here at the church. In I own a gym as well. And so my business partner and I, we talk about this, like our coaches, 
I, I genuinely love every single person that works with me and works for me. And if I didn't, I truly believe there would be something wrong with me, not wrong with the people, but wrong with me. So you say, well, TJ, how, how do I love people well? Like if that, if you want to be a great leader, right? And you, you want to you wanna war against the overcomplication of leadership, just begin to love them. Well, how do I love them? Protect them. Like protect them. You see their goals. You see who they could be. You see areas where they're straying off, like like they're they're overperforming maybe and burning out. Protect them. Shut them down. You see areas where they're being lazy and they're not stepping up. Protect them. Kick them in the rear. You know what I'm saying? Like like get them to step up and be who they're called to be. Begin to protect them. There's this crazy story from the 1960s where um, China and India actually got into this kind of Cold War scenario together. And, um, and I think I'm pronouncing it right, but Tawang in India was a place where um, just across the, the, the border with China, and there were two or 300 Chinese, um, Chinese soldiers that were coming across to attack Tawang. And there was this little regiment of like 20 Indian soldiers and these 20 Indian soldiers were like, oh, no, 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 like, we love our people. We love our city. We're going we're gonna to stand against this, like, this, what we, at the time, they considered uh, an invasion. And so one wave came, and they fought them off, right? Like, these 20 dudes against 300, two or 300, they fought them off. Well, then a second wave came, and on the second wave, they fought so hard, all the Indian guys ran out of bullets, well, the third wave, all they had was their bayonets, and they fended them off, and it dissuaded them from attacking Tawang, and basically they saved the city. And so when I was reading this story, I was thinking about this moment in history. I'm like, they love their people in such a way that they were willing to protect them no matter what, even if it cost them something. And for them, for these guys, it wasn't just their pride. It wasn't the next, you know, the next goal being hit in a timely manner. It was their lives. So ask yourself, if you're leading a group of people and they're not going in the direction that you want them to go, if you go and you're not hitting certain objectives, ask yourself this, do I love my team? Like, do, do I love them? Like, do I want what's best for them? Or, and this is something I've had to ask myself, are they just a means to my end? Right? Because there's a lot of companies, there's a lot of churches, and this happens in the church world all the time, where the church companies' businesses lose incredible talent because they look at that talent as a means to an end rather than someone to be protected, provided for, cared about, and loved. And so as a leader, the greatest thing, the greatest thing that you can give your people is love. All right. So protect them. Then provide for them. Like if you, if you, if I love my kids, right? And I love my kids. Lizzie turned six yesterday on March, or she turned five. I'm sorry. She didn't turn six. I don't know what I'm talking about. She turned five on March the sixth yesterday. And so for me, if I love her, if I love Cam, I'm gonna provide for them their needs. If they need to learn how to read, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach them. To, I'm going to provide some books. I'm going to provide some training. I'm going to provide for them an atmosphere at school where they can learn to read. They need nourishment. I'm going to provide for them food. What are some things that you can give to your team, you can provide for your team that will help them reach their goals and also communicate that you love them? It's something that I, I do here around our church all the time. I ask this question a lot intentionally. Do you need anything? Is there anything you need? It's that simple. Like, hey, is there, is there anything you need? Like, what are your biggest needs? Give me, give me your top three needs, whatever it may be. I ask those questions intentionally and often 
Because that's one way that you can, as a boss and a leader, you can communicate love by providing for their needs. Now, the last thing before we move on to point number two is this for me. At some point, if you really love, if you really love your people, you got to push them. We are, we are prone to enjoying the nest. I've um, been doing some research on eagles because I think eagles are incredible. And um, it's so interesting to me that for an eagle to learn, you hear all these different stories of how eagles teach their young to learn. But everything that I've read, which has been probably more than I should have on eagles lately, is that, you know, I, for years I heard that, oh, they take their, their eagles above the clouds to teach that, you know, to symbolically let the eaglets understand that when they drop them, you know, they're going to fall and they'll catch their wings and the mom grabs them, takes them back up. That's actually not how the process begins at all. The process begins by the eaglet being in the nest, unable to fly, and just spreading their wings inside the nest. And wind passes through the nest and lifts the eaglet up and brings it back down. And so the eaglet is inside the nest having all its needs met, right? Like, like mom's bringing food, like mom's taking care of it. Like they're doing everything for the eaglet. And, and the eaglet will watch the mom, right, lift its wings. So it starts lifting its wings. And the wind literally just, it doesn't flap its wings. It just holds its wings out. It's lifted up off of the nest and it sits back down in the nest. Well, there comes a point where the parent aggravates the eaglet. They'll begin to withhold food from the eaglet and fly in circles around the nest, fly around the nest with food, egging the eaglet on to find their own wings, right? So there comes a point in leadership where, like, the nest is awesome, the nest is comfortable, like, the safety of the nest, the safety of the house is great, right? But, like, we could say this even in parenting, like, it's really awesome and cool to come home to your 19-year-old or your 16-year-old that you're, like, you're still cooking for them and kind of ironing their clothes. It's not so cool to come home to your 35 or your 45-year-old that left, not because of any other reason other than you just made the nest so safe that they never had to leave. At some, and that's not healthy for them. Let me, I mean, I just say this. And maybe I'm offending like one or seven of you. I don't know. But like if you're pampering your child in such a way that you prolonged their adolescence so that they're staying home and not stepping up, being responsible, developing relationships and getting outside the nest, then you're actually being unloving to them. It is unloving to keep the bird in the nest. It's unloving to keep the kid in the nest forever. The most loving thing that you can do, like I do it, I say it all the time to, and, and those who are on the team here at church could affirm this and tell you, like I always say, I'm like, try it, do it. Like, like, just do it. Like, try it, do it, go for it. Like, get out of the nest, go do something. Like, let's try something new. Let's take, like, take a risk. And if you are not, Jordan Peterson says it this way, and um, he's a clinical psychologist, and um, Jordan Peterson says that we should empower our children to do dangerous things safely. And the way that he says that, to do dangerous things safely, in, in leadership it's the same way for our teams and our staff. Like, I want my team to do dangerous, risky things safely. And when I say dangerous, I'm not like, like I don't want somebody base jumping off the chapel. You know what I'm saying? Like I, like, I don't want them to do that. But I want them to do things that are dangerous, things that they could fail at, things that they could mess something up. I want them to do that and feel empowered to do that safely. Well, how do they do that safely? Well, think about the eagle. Like, the mom's withholding food to encourage them. She's not going to starve her young. She's going to make sure they're fed, right? She's encouraging them to fly. She's not going to let them hit the ground. They may fall some, 
but they're not going to hit the ground. As a leader, that's a way that you love your people. You protect them, you provide for them, but then you push them out the nest. And all of this is super simple. Like, how do we protect our people? How do we provide for our people? How do we push our people? You know how to do these things. It's simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Just start loving them and loving them, loving them well. I would argue this, though. You cannot love your people until you learn your people and you begin to learn with your people, right? So especially in the corporate world, and, and, and I've heard friends of mine, I have several, tons of friends who are business owners, and, and they like to keep things hyper, hyper professional, right? Like, like there, there's this hard line between professional and relationship, you know, community and productivity. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to blur the line between boss and friend and blah, 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 blah. Like it does make it more difficult. Like truly. And, and I could say this from, I mean, my own experience, I, I try to be a friend with every person that's on staff here at First Baptist in Tifton. Like I, I try to be friendly, but I also try to like, like, what's up, man? Like, like I, I want to be friends with people and it does make it complicated and difficult when I have to like fire someone or I have to have a hard conversation with someone or I have to up responsibility, right? Like it makes that incredibly difficult and incredibly hard. But I would argue that I don't really love them if I'm not really willing to learn them and to learn with them, right? Like at that point, I am just a boss, and who wants to live their life? Like the sum total of the gain of my time here at the end of my tenure at First Baptist, prayerfully, it'd be like 50 years, 20 years from now, not 50. I don't want to be here 50 years doing this, but like in like 20, 25 years, like prayerfully, the idea would be not that I leave and they say, oh man, he, he was a stellar strategist. He ran a great organization. He increased the budget 8% per year for the tenure that he was here. I hope that I get done with my time here and say, you know what? Like he led us, but ultimately he loved us. And if you can do that, like if you, a way that you can do that is to learn your people and to learn with your people. That means that leadership is going to be messy, but that's not complicated. It's not complicated to say, hey, how are you? (laughs) What are you struggling with? Home life good? Hey, you you just got married. How's life? You just had a baby. How's the baby? You sleeping? That's the question that was asked in the last seven days. Hey, you sleeping? You know, like to somebody that's on staff, he's actually sitting in the room, Ryan, (laughs) Ryan just had a baby. And so those kinds of questions, right? Like you think we, I said it earlier, we overcomplicate leadership. You learn your people. Hey, what's your favorite drink? Show up with it, boss, right? You get paid to be these people's boss. You get paid to serve these people. Mom, dad, you know, your kid's greatest insecurities and your greatest fear, lean against those things. Don't lean into them. Like lean it, lean, like I say this. Don't lean into your kids like like in in such a way that you're setting them up to be more insecure or more frustrated. Like lean against the things in your kids' life that you know there are some insecurities and fear. Like let them see you learning with them and fighting with them and walking with them through some of this. And you say, well, TJ, why? Because you don't. When it comes to especially in the workplace, you don't know their job. Like, I'll never forget. I'll never forget this moment. Um, we, our youth pastor left about five years ago. And, um, and I said, to save the church money in the budget, I said, you know what? I'm already preaching our connection service, but I'll do the interim job of youth pastor for the summer 
And so that we can have a smooth transition, we don't have to hire an interim, we don't have to pay somebody else, you're already paying me, you know, I didn't ask for my wages to be increased, I just wanted to do it so that we could save money in the budget and set the next guy up to win so that there would be consistency. Listen, I always thought, man, youth ministry is like pizza and Xboxes and games and they're just having fun. By the end of the summer, I was like, if I'm ever made to be a youth pastor, I'm going back to selling insurance, all right? Like, like full, full transparency. I was like, this is not my calling. This is not my job. This is incredibly difficult. And all of these kids, like, they just spray on Axe body spray over like three days of not taking a bath. They all stink. This is terrible, right? I got to the end of the summer and that it was, I was just like, man, people are called to this. They're gifted. I don't, I don't know their job. I don't know their stresses. I don't know the internal dialogue that my staff has with themselves, right? Like, I don't know some of their greatest insecurities. I don't know their hurts or their hangups. I don't know any of these things, but I can if I'm willing to learn it. And if I'll take the time to learn my staff and then begin to learn with my staff, I will lead them. They'll follow you. If they know that you're willing to learn them and to learn with them, that you don't show up acting like a know-it-all, that you have it all together, they will let you take them where God is calling you as an organization, as a church, or as a family. I've shared this before, but there's been so many times where I've completely screwed up parenting my kids and um, and been harsh or been critical of my son at times. And I've got down on his level, on my knees in front of him, holding his hands. I looked him in the eye and I've said, Cameron, listen, sometimes dad just really stinks at this whole parenting thing. And man, I messed up and I need you. I need you to forgive me, man. Will you forgive me? And sometimes I'd be like, no, I'm not. You're, you're the worst daddy ever. <laughs> Whatever you like. He's a seven-year-old. He's this crazy stuff. And, but there's so many times where I see in him, when I, when I grab his hands, I look him in the eye and say, hey man, dad, dad messes up sometimes. Like dad makes mistakes. Like I, there have been moments that I can literally see all the tension in his body just go, like, oh, like I know I messed up but dad's telling me now he's messed up and we're, we're figuring this out together. Like dad doesn't have all the answers, but like he still loves me and wants me around. And like, like we're going to do this together. Like, like for some of y'all, it'd be for some of y'all listening, it'd be really good for your families, for your staff, for your churches. If you just look down one day and be like, Hey, I don't have all the answers. <laughs> I have no idea what we're doing here, but, but I want to find these answers out together. I want to learn together. So learn your staff and learn with them. That is not complicated right? It's not complicated to ask your secretary, hey, are you having a good day? It's not complicated to ask your finance person, hey, your car salesman, whoever it is, whoever's under you. It's not difficult to ask your wife, hey, how can I pray for you this week? Like learn them and then learn with them. I love what Paul said in Philippians 3.13, brothers, I do not consider myself to have, to, to have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and straining towards that which lies ahead. This is what I love. Because the church planter of all church planters, the Apostle Paul, right, the, the one who has this dramatic encounter with Jesus, this tra radical transformation, this guy is telling this to the church in Philippi. I don't know, guys. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't consider myself to have made it my own. Like, I don't have all the answers. But this one thing I do, like I'm forgetting those things that are behind it. I'm pressing on. I'm reaching to what lies ahead. So I don't have the answers. This is what Paul's saying. I don't have the answers. But, like, we can go together to try to get them. Like, we can reach towards Christ. We can reach towards our goals. And so what would that look like 
And, and I know your pride will tell you that you're not prideful. Your pride will work against this principle that I'm trying to give you. Your pride will work against you learning people and learning with people and admitting that you don't know. Like that, I don't know for some of you would be the most freeing phrase you've said in the last 10 years probably. When someone comes up to you and says, I, I, I don't know, but let's find out together. It, it will be so freeing if you could adopt some of that language. The last thing I'm going to give you. So you want to love your people? You want to learn your people and learn with your people. And then ultimately, you have to, right? We don't want to make it complicated, but you have to at some point lead. So that means you, if you're responsible to lead, if you're a parent, you're leading your children. If you're a spouse, you're leading who God entrusted to be in your life, right? Your husband or your wife. If you're in a small group, a friend group, right? Even if you're on a team, like maybe you're a high schooler and you're on a baseball team, you're leading. Like everyone is leading. So how do I lead effectively? I love my people. I learn with and I learn my people, but then I just lead. I set the direction. At some point, you have to clarify the objective. Scripture tells us that without the vision, without a vision, without a clear direction, the people perish. So you get to set the direction. Investigate it. Know where you're going. Set the direction. That means set clear expectations. Let people know where you're going, why you're going, why you want to go, why you feel like God called you to go, why it will be good for you, for them, and for the world if you go there. Set the direction. My, my stepdad says this to me all the time, and I love this. Um, we, we have a little farm outside of, uh, outside of Worth County in Georgia. And we like, we farm for deer. We love to deer hunt. And, and so we, we plant a bunch of food plots and we do this. And, and I'll say, hey, are we, what are we doing? He's like, well, I'm going to get, a, you know, I'll get on the tractor and I'm going to, we're going to plant, you know, three acres of corn, 10 acres of soybeans and two acres of cow peas. And I'm like, do you think that's the best strategy? And there's been so many times he said, you know, I'm going to do something, even if it's wrong. <laughs> and that's his phrase. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I don't know. I'm going to do something, even if it's wrong. And I'm like, he set the direction, even if the end goal wasn't the desired, the ultimate desired result, he was not going to let inactivity handicap us. Because there's a lot of people, and listen, I, I can be the world's worst at this sometimes, especially with our little farm. Like, oh, let's do this here, and let's do this here, and let's do this here. And you strategize yourself into inactivity. And so, man, set the direction, clarify the objective, and then just go. Do something, even if it's wrong. You know, prayerfully it won't be wrong. But like the, the the idea, the theme behind that quote that he tells me all the time, I'm gonna do something even if it's wrong. Like what he's saying is, TJ, we gotta go. Like we gotta get to moving. We gotta start turning dirt, right? And so in your life, in your ministry, on your team, in your marriage, are here's the question to ask, and this is how we're gonna wrap up today. Are you loving your people in such a way that you're protecting them, you're providing for them, but at the same time, you're pushing them out of the nest to be who God called them to be? Then ask yourself, am I willing to learn my people? If you're not willing to learn your people, the good, the bad, the ugly, then you are not worthy to be a leader. Like, I, I'll say that, and I'll stand behind that the rest of my life. If you are not willing to learn your people, to learn things about them, to be in relationship with them, to be in community and friendship, then you're not worthy to be a leader. So do you, are you learning your people, and are you willing to learn with them, to admit that you don't know? And the last thing, are you leading? Like, if you're doing the other, if you're doing the first two, man, just set a direction and watch what incredible things can happen 
in your life. Clarify the objective and get to walking. Put one foot in front of the other. Start turning over some dirt, right? Start selling some houses. Start building some apartment complexes. I don't know what your dreams and goals and visions are, right? But if you don't take that first step, you're not going to do it. So love your people well. Learn with and from your people well. Learn your people. And then just start leading. Don't overcomplicate this thing called leadership, all right? Love y'all. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the TJ Malden Leadership Podcast, where we talk about life, leadership, and the gospel. If you enjoyed this episode, share with a friend. For more content, follow us on Instagram and YouTube. If you have any questions you would like to ask TJ, whether it is about life, leadership, or the gospel, you can email those to TJ Malden Leadership Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you join us again on the TJ Malden Leadership Podcast.